0: You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.
1: Guys, um, good afternoon. I got it right. Um, they have found the aircon. you'll be pleased to know. So yeah, that, that feels good, doesn't it? That's positive news. That's gonna kick in. Um, We set out on a journey just before Christmas, and I remember saying I wanted to start it before Christmas, and I didn't fully know why, but we set on a journey to have a conversation around If My People, and some of you will have been here for that, and among a number of things, I said that we want to intentionally step into a place of praying and fasting over a whole number of things that you can find on the welcome desk on this little card under the um, acronym of Manchester, and... One of those things that we were gonna pray for intentionally was for a building of our own. Don't you find it really fascinating in that moment then we have a fire that takes us out of that building. I just think the timing is interesting for want of a better word. And then regardless of any impact that that has on any of us, it has a huge impact on the children that meet in the school that we normally meet in. And as Naomi, Naomi mentioned a moment ago, I think there's around 600 children in that school that are entitled to free school meals and some of the team from the school are currently basing themselves in 422 and my understanding is that the current number of children that we're feeding could significantly increase and we're also creating packs for their teachers, care packs and we're creating craft packs for some of the kids Honestly, I've, I think regardless of anything else that you might discern in this moment, I think it's a remarkable opportunity to serve that school that in no other circumstance we would have had and to wash the feet of the people in that area. And many of you are, but if you'd like to, you, can, you could be part of that. And um, I'm so... So encouraged, I want to say thank you to the many people that made today happen as well, regardless of just that, but yeah, different place, different time, but we're together. And what a delight it is to be together and to remind ourselves of that fact. I remember it wasn't that long ago that I think it was illegal to sit on a park bench with one of you. So um, it's just good to be in the room. I spent, interestingly, most of Christmas um, praying for the building, but actually laying it down. I really felt that, yeah, it's important to have a place to meet, and we've mentioned that a number of times, but I didn't want to become so fixated on a building or a location. I want to be fixated on Jesus and the extension of his kingdom, and I want to worship him and live missionally and see the lost reach and the poor fed. And again, I think it's really fascinating that in that moment of even doing that, even the venue we did have is just temporarily been taken away. And I realize for some of you over this Christmas period, some of you will have had um, a deeply replenishing Christmas and then coming back it feels a bit stretched as you go back to the normal rhythm of life. And others of you will be coming back and actually it'll feel like really hard work because you crawled into Christmas and you needed a break and then you had all of the interesting family dynamics that are quite exhausting that left you breathless and a little bit exhausted. And Either way, regardless of how you feel, I just want to just take a moment, if I can, just to recenter us on Jesus. I was reading uh, that a theologian and a civil rights leader in the US um, in the mid-40s, Howard Furman, he said this, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princesses are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people and to make music in the heart. This year, I hope, regardless of physical location, that we continue to see the kingdom of God extended in our midst and we reach out to the people of this city. I, I feel like, and I don't think I'm alone, that we're in quite a remarkable moment. I've said in a few places recently, particularly before Christmas as the church has grown, we've said what God has to where we are is not going to get us to where we're going. And this last week, up until actually Friday afternoon, and we didn't know it was going to happen, we weren't able to get any of our kit out of the school that we met in. And it kind of felt really symbolic, It actually made life a little bit easier that we were able to get it, but it felt symbolic. There was numerous contingency plans made, and we were going to have this gathering regardless. But so many times you hear people say, well, I wasn't here when, or I've only just joined you, or whatever it might be, and I kind of feel like we're in a new moment, and I think there was such a beautiful prophetic moment, even just singing that song a moment ago, God of Our Mothers and Fathers, and about new wine because we're in a new day and new wine goes into new wine skins we aren't carrying with us the things of old the lord is doing a new thing and wants to prepare us for where we're going and how we want how he wants us to be we had this beautiful moment gathering with our small group leaders this week and everyone was on their knees and consecrating themselves to the lord repenting of their sin and posturing themselves to be vessels used for the glory of the Lord in whatever way he deems or sees fit. Isn't that the people we want to be? This series, If My People, I guess, is based on 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and it says this, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honoured forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. If I even just personally was just to draw a little big red ring around one of the words in in that passage, it would be this, the word humble. Every time I read it, the word that jumps out of me is the word humble. If we'd humble ourselves and pray, I wonder what it is that's going to get us to be people that humble ourselves and pray. What's the thing that's going to stir us fresh for it? Three times in the week leading up to Christmas and twice since Christmas, I've already been to the dentist and um, If ever you need a moment that's going to get you praying, for me it's been in the dentist chair, there's nothing quite like it, but what is it that's going to get you praying? What is it that's going to cause us to humble ourselves where we create spaces and places that are safe to people to come and share their mess? And if we don't open up our hearts and our lives to each other in honest repentance and honesty and forgiveness with a desire for willing restoration and reconciliation, how can we really expect the lost to truly meet the king of the world and do the same? Sometimes I think we think no one is looking, but people are looking because the world around us is desperate, even though they don't always realize it. I think they're hungry for an authentic Christianity that can truly transform their lives. And I think how we respond to moments like the one we're in are actually really hit huge. We get a moment to tell our story, which is ultimately to tell his story all over again. I've read it so many times, but it was often said of the guys in the Welsh revival that they would get in a circle and they would pray, and they would pray like their life depended on it, declaring, start with the sinner in the circle, basically start with me. And throughout history, revivals are noted for these events that are filled with quite deep moments of confession and public emotion and a realization of a desperate need to be saved. I spent some time over Christmas reading about the revival that happened in Manchester in 1859 right up until 18. 18- Seventy-four, and the language was the same. It had all of the same distinctives. There was a weeping over sin. There was a brokenness for the Lord. There was a request and a desire for forgiveness and reconciliation. People were saved, and whole communities were transformed. And there's this in those moments a supernatural acceleration of God's work, bringing a remarkable harvest of souls that happens in a year that might not otherwise happen in ten, fifteen. 20 years, and people who were hostile previously to the gospel suddenly become open and they chase the Lord. I think it's kind of what happens in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. It says, This, when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words but also with power, for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what was said was true. And the revival that happened in Manchester at that time is often referred to as the forgotten revival. Many of you may not have even realized it even happened. In terms of numbers, it was one of the most significant that's ever happened in our country. It had the longest lasting impact, but it was often forgotten because it was a revival among ordinary common people. It wasn't associated with celebrities or names or people of prominence, and it happened quite significantly among the poor. It's said that at that time, a number of the vilest people, I quote them, not making a word up, they would say a number of the vilest people in society rapidly came to faith. And the transformation of those people that might be deemed as the bad people attracted some people to it just because of the reality of the significance and the power of the transformation that was happening it was said to have started in quite a strange almost eerie quietness and stillness but what there was was this deep longing and desire for an awakening that saw the most remarkable move of the spirit as people prayed he was poured out among them and people's faith rose to new levels the prayer was notable it is said Particularly among the children, that there was this unction and readiness and frequency and earnestness that was astonishing for everyone at the time to see. Right now, I, again, I mentioned it before Christmas, it's on those little cars, but we said, Would we pray? at 8 o'clock morning or evening every day, not to be religious, but just to recommit ourselves to a regular routine. Every day my alarm goes off, and when I'm with our children, they join me, and we pray for this city, for this church, for a building, for the poor to be fed, for small groups to be planted, for people to come to faith, and, 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 and. And if I'm honest, many times over Christmas, It reduced me to tears praying with them because of their faith, their boldness and their compassion in believing for what the Lord could and we hope would do among us and in this city. In 1859 in Manchester, it was said to best ask where a prayer meeting wasn't happening rather than where one was happening. The movement was so unprecedented and they didn't just pray, they then went out and shared their faith. I just want to tell you about one guy, Henry Morehouse. He was known as Harry Morehouse. He was actually born in Ardwick in the 1840s. He was sent to jail at a very young age. At the age of 16, he was said to be a prolific gambler and gang leader. He was said to be wild and beyond any control. He joined the army and his dad had to, at significant personal cost, buy him out of the army. He drank a lot and he was suicidal. He carried a gun for the purpose of killing himself should he decide to do so at any point because he saw life as pointless. He was in the center of Manchester in 1860 and he heard a commotion and he thought it was a fight. So he buttoned up his coat and ran over to steam into it. And he discovered it was a gospel meeting. And they were talking about the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. And he found himself in the middle of the story, realizing that he was someone far from home. And the name of Jesus pierced his heart. And he spent the rest of his days living solely, passionately for Jesus, bringing many, many, many people to Jesus in the midst of that revival it was said that the prayer meetings were held in houses throughout the city and many bid farewell at that time to the public houses to the card table to gambling to cockfighting to dancing and to pigeon flying and they became unashamed of the gospel to stand up and share it with anyone and everyone that would listen And I read all of that, and then I read this, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. And as we humble ourselves, I wonder what it is to step into this new year. What is it that you need to turn from? Unless I've significantly miss something, I think it's highly unlikely that it's going to be cockfighting and pigeon flying. But what is it? What about time-wasting? What about bitterness? What about a critical spirit? What about pride? What about language? What about a relationship? What about drink? What about porn? What about lack of love? What about lack of faith? People started to come to faith for a move of the power of the Holy Spirit, even without them naturally doing anything. That's what happens, I think, when we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek his face and we turn from our ways and we turn to his ways. I realize you could roll into this year and just be business as usual. I really long for it not just to be business as usual. I think the great thing about this venue thing is it stops us being comfortable and it stops us thinking that we have any hold or any control over anything and we have to constantly and consistently humble ourselves before God and go back to his way, his term, his presence, his power. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says this, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land that God had promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. It goes on, verse 16, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We don't always know everything. We don't always need to have it bolted down because we're trusting, we're trusting in God to lead us, to guide us, to plant us wherever he wants to plant us. I guess my question is, will we once again surrender it all and humble ourselves? What does it look like to humble ourselves? James 4, verse 4, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. And as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I long not to be opposed by God. I want to live and I want to walk in and among his grace. As James said, resist the devil. Can I almost just say as a side note that what I've read of the Revival in Manchester in the 1800s, it said that the move of God in its infancy arose such great opposition and persecution. It says that none of them had previously experienced opposition like it up until that point. It said that they felt as though it was because Satan's kingdom was shaking. Honestly, I I know interesting stuff Happens, I've had just in the last few weeks. The more we've increased our prayer, I've had some very interesting dreams. I've also had some amazing God dreams, but I've had some that have been really, really uncomfortable. I've also seen among a number of you some really interesting health challenges that don't feel they should be as they are, and also some relational tensions and some circumstantial difficulties that a a number of you are currently facing. There is a rage that happens when we step into the fullness of what God has for us. Some of you will want to right now quit. You'll want to quit jobs. You'll want to quit faith. You'll want to quit everything. It will feel like too much. You'll feel stretched too far. You'll feel overwhelmed. You'll find and feel that people are battling against you. We are contending, contending for marriages, contending for health, contending for involvement, contending for hearts, for you not to have distractions, for you not to settle, for you not to be passive, for the way you interact and relate to others, for your faith and your belief in Jesus, for your workplace, for your street, for your road. We're contending. We're contending for you to be people that step fully into all the Father has for us, seeking the fullness, seeking to live obediently, seeking to reach out to seek and save the lost. I don't think any of that comes without a fight, but what do we do? We humble ourselves. Ephesians 4 verse 2, and always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, make an allowance for each other's fault because of your love make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace sounds so good doesn't it but i don't think that's easy to make allowance for each other's faults to be patient with each other it's what we're called to but it's so much easier to say hey here's your fault than here's my fault It's so much easier to say, hey, you need to deal with this rather than I need to deal and make allowance for that and simply humble ourselves. It said again of the revival in Manchester that by the time D.L. Moody, who many of you will have heard of, by the time he was part of it and all the stirring that was happening, it said this, Manchester, I rejoice, is now on fire one of the most difficult of English cities, perhaps to be set on fire by anything but politics, is now fairly ablaze and the flames are breaking out in all directions. Moody then in his biography went on to say this, he said that he felt that God used him more in those days than in the 17 years prior to it. I kind of want to say this to you and stir this within you opposition will not deter us stand firm there were places and spaces that Jesus himself couldn't do anything because of a lack of faith he often said hearts are hard or they still don't understand isn't it that don't we long to posture ourselves in utter desperation and humility to seek the face of God and to long for him to move in ways like we've never seen before could i ask you could i challenge you to start trusting in god in new ways for things this year like never before i almost get slightly tired myself for myself of new year's resolutions i make so many and keep none of them but honestly life habits are crucial Every day my alarm goes off at 8 to pray. Every Sunday we get to our knees at 9 p.m. to pray specifically for the building. What are your current life habits? What are you and how are you praying for them? What if five people in your workplace came to faith this year? It would change it. But what if 50 came to faith in your workplace? I'm not saying that we in any way step aside from sharing Jesus with people. What if people started coming to faith through the power of God rather than anything you did? Dreams and visions and the outbursts of faith that can only happen when God moves in power. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I read and have seen has happened in segments of history. That's the song that we were just singing about God of our mothers and fathers longing for that moment in our time and in our day to be new wine again. I've seen a few things lately among us as a church that are really, really interesting. Signs of the supernatural in fresh ways that I want to fan the flame of. I went into the supermarket nearest to where we live the other day with my daughter and we were looking for something that we couldn't find and this lady said to us, she said, you look as lost as I do. And uh, we ended up chatting for quite a while, and it was one of those conversations where it, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but honestly, it was nothing short of a divine appointment. She was trying everything within her to interact with us and ask us questions about things. And I, as I often would in any environment, I'm looking for ways to shape that conversation and to share about Jesus but she's chatting with me and asking me questions so she was making it quite easy anyway honestly I came away absolutely gutted because in my frailty I didn't manage to get the conversation on to Jesus in any way that had a lasting impact on her life I was hoping I would have but I was gutted and I came away with this greater desire to train and equip myself to do so, but also gutted that I wasn't just straighter and bolder and more direct. The opportunity was on a plate, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, instead you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life, and if someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do it in a gentle and a respectful way. As we step into this new year, I want to challenge us to increasingly seek ways to share Jesus. I don't think I've ever prayed for opportunities to share Jesus and then not had them. But how often do we pray for opportunities? Who are the people on your street, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, in your world at the minute that you're praying for? I don't want us to become comfortable Comfortable with a venue, comfortable in small group, comfortable in the community that we have and we know. We want to humble ourselves before God, knowing in our strength that the gospel is foolishness, but under the power of God, it transforms lives. One of the things I've been pondering is, have I become comfortable? Have I become comfortable with us meeting at the Dean's Trust not that hopefully we're leaving there forever at this moment and it's just temporary, but what if some of us were called to move house and plant small groups in other parts of the city, laying foundations for what's to come? What if we were to become comfortable with the uncomfortable, to continue to find ways creatively to reach the lost, to reach new people? We've got to keep planting small groups. I said to the Small group leaders, this last week when we met, I think it's so much easier to be in a group than to lead a group. That would be my observation, partly because I would say, if I'm really honest, the same of leading the church. I think it's way easier to turn up. I know numerous ways that I'd love just to turn up and serve the leaders and make their life slightly easier. I can think of a number of ways that I'd want to invest in all that God is calling them to and to support them in and encourage them and then champion them. And then I realized that God doesn't call us to easy and he doesn't call us to a comfortable life. He calls us to be part of a forceful extension of the kingdom of God, making whatever sacrifice is needed to lay down our lives as Jesus laid down his life for the church. He modeled to us what to do and how to do it, our youngest daughter, this last week was um, cutting up an orange and if i 'm honest i was I was slightly alarmed because she 'd got like a middle of the range knife it wasn 't the sharpest one, but equally it wasn 't the bluntest one and she 'd got a plate, and she 'd sliced both ends off, and she was going round the orange with this pretty sharp knife i don 't want to make it too bad because it sounds like an irresponsible parent, but she was going round it, cutting the skin off it, and almost then somehow peeling it like a banana. Now, to many of you orange-eating people, you will understand how that happens. I can't stand the thing, so I've never really done it myself and wouldn't know how to do it, and I'd have made quite a song and dance out of it. But anyway, thankfully, I didn't go, whoa, 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 whoa. put the knife down. I said to her, how did you know how to do that? And she said, I've seen mummy do it. And you know, I thought, it actually kind of sums up how this thing works. We... Watch what Jesus did and then we just try and do it and we try not to make it any more complicated than that. 1 John 3, 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Jesus gave up his life for us. Ephesians 5.25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. If ever there was a time to refresh and renew our hunger and desire for Christ, his church and his cause, surely this is a good one. What's the uniqueness of the moment that we stand in where we tell our story to tell his story and we invite others into that story? Even the fact that even in the next few weeks we're meeting in the afternoon gives us an opportunity to have others for lunch before church or to invite others to come for lunch to then come and join us and be a community there's always opportunities to humble ourselves before God in new ways I've shared this and let me finish with this I've shared many times with a number of you that uh, a police officer in their own right isn't powerful it's the uniform it's what they represent it's the uniform that they wear that gives them the power and the authority and it's the same with us we aren't doing anything special we clothe ourselves with the holy spirit to live out the mandate on our lives through his power and his authority if i if i can though can i just take that analogy just a little bit further how many police officers sometimes don't feel like going to work how many police officers have an argument with the kids before they go to work how many think or do or say things That they then go and tell others that they shouldn't do. How many police officers drive at 37 in a 30 on the way to work? Now, I'm using an illustration, don't misunderstand me, I'm not excusing corruption or abusive behaviour or stuff that needs rooting out and dealing with. But what I'm trying to say is all of you have a uniform, all of you have power, and all of you have authority. But sometimes you can't yourself out because you've made a few mistakes and a few things have tripped you up along the way. Or the enemy has got a foothold in your life and he's absolutely chewing you up. I think my solution would be this can I ask you to humble yourself before God again? Still go to work, still put the uniform on and trust in the uniform rather than yourself. When we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, he hears from heaven and will forgive our sins and restore our land. Can I just push that analogy just one step further? And I gotta say this, it's an analogy, so it falls down at virtually every step. But how many police officers turn up to work and sometimes realize that their colleagues at the police station are sometimes a bit annoying? Or sometimes let them down, or sometimes live in ways that are contrary to what they signed up for. It's an illustration, it falls down. I'm not justifying or excusing behavior that's unacceptable or harmful, or many of the things that we see in so many places that are unhealthy. But what I am saying is this Ephesians 4, verse 2. Always be humble and gentle be patient with each other make an allowance for each of us faults because of your love make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace that we be a people that put on our uniform trusting in the lord's power and authority anointing and equipping and that we'd go to work and get on with the job that he's given us to do that we would humble ourselves pray seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, knowing that he will hear from heaven, forgive our sins, restore our land, and have his eyes open to us and ear, ear attentive to every prayer that we make in this place. I desperately don't want 2024 to be business as usual. I want 2024 to be complete and utter surrender, submission, confession, and consecration to God in the knowledge that he pours his spirit out on us, among us, and for the power of God can come manifestly upon us and in this city and make a remarkable difference and see many reached for him that currently haven't been as we humble ourselves before him. Shall we stand together and wait on him? Many of you will be new or the first time in this environment. We're just going to wait on the Lord. It might help you just to close your eyes, to not be distracted by those around you. Spirit of God, we welcome you. Come on.
0: We've heard um, Paul say it a number of times this afternoon, but I just want to dwell on it for a moment longer, where it says, always be humble and gentle. Not just be humble and gentle, but always be humble and gentle. That is a tall order, but it's in the book. And so, by the power of the Spirit in us, it must be possible and i just wonder whether for some of you that's really struck you this afternoon always be humble and gentle always and if you feel like that's something that you would really like to grow in and develop in and i think that is a lifelong journey for all of us but if that is something that you just it's like making your heart beat faster and you just think oh gosh i need i need help to to grow in that then I think um, I'd love to make an, make space for for some of you to to respond to that. But I think there'll be a number of things that um, you may want to respond to this afternoon. Another another sense I had was that when we were singing, "We'll never see the end of His goodness. We'll never see the end." I want to acknowledge those of you that feel like actually you have seen the end. You're kind of clinging on in there, and you're actually not really sure about this. Kind of never-ending goodness and for you I would love to invite you to, to respond and have someone pray with you and alongside you who is able to hang on to the truth and can declare over you again that we will never see the end of his goodness.
1: I think for a number of you, there's a um, there's a very powerful consecration moment. It's often it doesn't look dramatic, but it's a it's a stillness, it's a softness, it's a willingness and a longing and a hunger and a desperation for the things of God. And for a um, intentional laying down of everything that inhibits that, any jealousy, bitterness. Previous pains, hurts, and repented of sin. Repetitive, habitual behaviors that have held you back. I feel like some of you—it's it, almost like a sore bungee cord that every time you think you've, you're 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 falling into the presence of God, it just bounces you back. I just feel that there's a break moment in a moment of utter humility and consecration again before the Lord. Lord, I need you. I want you. I long for you. It would never be the same again. Some of you are contending for things that have held you back. Some of you are almost, not just for yourself, but for areas of the city, for for others in this room, for this church as a whole, you're contending for it. You're believing for something. You're consecrating yourself before the Lord, humbling yourself, longing that it would move. There's a, like there's a for some of you I think as even as I say that there's like um you just feel something coming on you like for your hands there's a there's a um there's a there's a weight there's a warmth it's like sometimes even physically represented what God is doing Lord we welcome you come Lord come Lord Some of you will feel like, um, like you, you, like you're receiving something now. I just want to say you are. It's the Holy Spirit. It's like it's like an oil. Some of you, um, metaphorically, it's almost been poured over you. Some of you, as you look back over the last period of time, even a couple of years, you could just acknowledge ways where the, you've you've been downplayed, you've been downtrodden, you've been pushed back in your authority or the enemies sought to take you out I just want to pray a release moment over you new chapter, new day new season Spirit of God come on us Just as we respond to some of that, that you can see the Lord moving on people all over the room. I feel like whenever you get a moment that you're going to step into something of God, there is a resistance to it. So some of you right now, it almost feels like like you're wearing moon boots. You've got this weight and heaviness that causes you to resist. I just, if that is you, I just want you to acknowledge it because there'll be a resistance to you stepping into fullness. But some of you, We'll need to respond and we'll need others to stand alongside you and pray for you and to minister with you. Why don't we do that as we're stood? We'll just come down to this front. One of the dangers of these bleachers is it makes it a spectator sport, but it's not. Why don't you just come and people will join you and pray for you.
0: Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.